Flashbacks to the end of the 2017 National Championship took over Zag Nation on Saturday evening, but poor officiating is not what cost Gonzaga a much-needed win against the Gales. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. Well, it is a not particularly happy Mailbag Monday episode here on the Locked On Zags podcast after Gonzaga falls 64-62 to to the Gales of St. Mary's on Saturday at the McCarthy Athletic Center. First time losing to St. Mary's at home in about five years. Really unfortunate game. It was close all the way throughout. It was a, a, a fun matchup, really, for the first 37, 38 minutes or so. Gonzaga didn't execute down the stretch. There was a handful of very questionable officiating decisions. It kind of felt like, I believe Sean Farnham said, that it felt like the officials kind of lost control of the game, and that's really what did happen down the stretch. Uh, it was unfortunate to see. Uh, we're going to start mailbag with a question from Jeff via Gmail, who basically just discussed what happened at the end of the game regarding the student section or what appeared to be the student section throwing things onto the court causing multiple disruptions throughout the game uh, they were not issued a technical foul by the the officials which was frankly shocking i don't know how those officials did not call that a technical foul that's kind of a, a pretty standard ruling uh, from the officials and, and frankly it was embarrassing and it's one of those things that there's a there's a line it's not even that fine of a line, but there is a line between being a passionate fan base, being an enthusiastic fan base, and even being a fan base that kind of toes that line. I mean, there's nothing wrong with with that. I think part of college basketball, part of the student experience, part of just the whole game is that it is a, a driven by the student population. It is driven by college kids and, and energy and in and, and ways that, you know, you don't necessarily get in professional sports as, you know, there's not, they're not as close to the floor. There's, you know, there's the students aren't in classes with each other. Like there's just a different vibe in college athletics. And I think part of that vibe can be a little bit of, of vitriol, a little bit of, of anger, a little bit of real like intensity in rivalries, but there is a line. Gonzaga historically has been a program that I think does a good job of towing that line. We've seen a handful of, of population, student populations and other programs where that line is a little bit harder to find or, or it gets crossed a little bit more often. And again, uh, that's just part of the nature of college athletics and I think why it appeals to so many people. But in this situation, this cannot happen. Mark Few running onto the floor to scream at the student section to knock it off I mean, it it doesn't happen often, and I think that's that's something that needs to be reminded and acknowledged. Like, it is a good thing that Gonzaga has had this passionate fan base for decades. The Kennel Club has been a, an integral part of Gonzaga's success over the last 25 years, and they've been around for well 
longer than that. The Kennel Club started in the mid 80s and have been a passionate part of Gonzaga basketball for for many, many decades now. And they don't usually cross this line, but they did on Saturday night. And it was a, a combination of, I think, just intense frustration about this season, which who can blame them? We're all feeling that. There was a fun comment in our Discord of like, well, I threw things at, during the game too. I was just in my living room. Like, yeah, I get it. It's been a frustrating season. I've said this before on this podcast. The first 100 games that I covered as a Gonzaga basketball podcaster, the Zags went 92-8. and eight. They have six losses already this season. It is, it is hard. It is hard. I feel it. You feel it. The players feel it. The fans feel it. The student section feels it. Everybody feels it. But that is not how... That's not how to respond to that. People who worked at the kennel got hit with things that were thrown on the floor. People got hurt because of this happening. And I don't want to go all pearl clutching morality police on this year and like banish the student section and like scream at a bunch of college kids for doing what college kids do when they're, uh, you know, in intense environments like that. I get it. It happens. I think we can close the door and move on. But it's it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing that it also came with Gonzaga blowing a lead. And while the officiating was bad, I don't think there's any debate about that. There's no, this is not a, well, actually, the no, the officials were bad. They, they made mistakes at the end of this game. They made mistakes that went against Gonzaga. They made mistakes earlier in the game that went the other direction. They were just not a good officiating crew. And it's unfortunate that that happened in this game. But it's not why Gonzaga lost. And it leads to this next question here from Austin via Discord, who says, I know it's easy to blame the refs, but in all fairness and honesty, what could, have, what have, could Gonzaga have done differently in this game? They needed to execute down the stretch. I mean, it's really as simple as that. This was a good game throughout. Gonzaga played very well at the beginning of the game. St. Mary struggled early. Gonzaga looked like they had a good handle on it. They were executing the game plan that they had, that they wanted to execute. And then in the second half, particularly in the last few minutes of the second half, Gonzaga didn't execute. Nolan Hickman wasn't the player we saw against LMU. It's not all his fault, but that was who we needed to see. We knew that Nolan Hickman was going to be an X factor in this game against the Gooses Marcelonis, against Aiden Mahaney. He needed to have a good game. Ryan Nimhart was excellent offensively in this game, but he didn't do much down the stretch this game either. Gonzaga didn't execute when they needed to. They went cold in the last few minutes of this game offensively. Defensively, while they played a good game overall, they gave St. Mary's opportunities to score. Aiden Mahaney did what he did last year against Gonzaga, the same thing where he got in ball screen actions and got towards the basket, and Gonzaga doesn't have a rim protector. And they weren't able to stop him from scoring around the rim. He's very, very good. And when he gets a step, when he can get towards the basket, he scores most of the time. That's what happened. Joshua Jefferson, really excellent performance from him. He had a very clutch three with, what, 45 seconds left to take it from a three-point lead to a six-point lead. That's your game right there. Yes, after that, Anton Watson hits the three. After that, there was the shot clock violation that was actually then called a foul. Very confusing part of the officiating mess, along with the out-of-bounds call that was missed. All of that happened. But if Joshua Jefferson doesn't get a wide-open look from three with 45 seconds left, Gonzaga probably wins this game. You, they just didn't execute at the end of the game when they needed to execute. And it was frustrating because it wasn't like St. Mary's looked like the better team. It wasn't that Gonzaga looked outmatched or out-hustled or outperformed or outclassed or anything like that. They got beat because at the end of the game, when they needed to make shots, when they needed to get stops, they didn't. And St. Mary's did. That's what happened. 
Next question comes from Christian via Gmail. He says, the Zags showed their ability to play at St. Mary's pace, but was pace of play the determining factor? The Zags were plus six on the boards, but only had five assists. It feels like other than the start of the game that St. Mary's played their pace and executed their game plan. I know you will cover this prior to the next matchup, but what needs to take place for the Zags to dictate their pace or style of play against the Gales? Yeah, this is a, a, a good question and an interesting topic because I didn't necessarily feel like pace of play was as much of the issue for Gonzaga in this game. By what I what I mean by that is yes, I think St. Mary's was able to play at a pace they were comfortable with throughout this game. I will not disagree with that. And I think for Gonzaga, being able to take St. Mary's out of their pace is probably something that helped them win the basketball game. They pressed pretty much all game long. They had that half-court press trying to trap guys coming across the half-court line with Anton Watson. Uh, Briefly ran it with Dusty Stromer, although Watson pretty much was at the front of that the entire time. And I thought that was a good strategy. It didn't really work. It didn't force a lot of turnovers. It didn't – St. Mary's doesn't make a lot of mistakes. That's why they're so good. This is the the prototypical Randy Bennett team. Slow pace, efficient offense, don't turn the ball over a lot. It results in a lot of Ws. And they were very bad early in the season with the Weber State loss and the Boise State loss and a handful of other just really bad performances. But this is the team that they've looked like for over two months now. Like This isn't just them suddenly turning it on against Gonzaga. They've looked like this for a while. And for Gonzaga, as much as taking them out of the pace would help, I don't think that Gonzaga struggled because they were playing at a slower pace. I think that worked for them. I, I, this isn't a team that runs and guns the way that some previous teams have done in the past, partly because they don't have the depth, partly because they just don't have the personnel. It doesn't work as well with this offense in this situation. So I don't really think that the pace was the issue as much. I think a lot of the issue was Mitchell Saxon pushing Gonzaga around. Brayden Huff had a terrible performance in this game. Defensively, he came in and just immediately got pushed around. It was a problem. And Mark Few knew it was going to be a problem because he tried really hard to not play Brayden Huff in this game. Right, he'll figure it out. This isn't an indictment on him necessarily, but this was not a good matchup for him. Gonzaga tried to play Graham E.K. as much as they possibly could. And when Brayden Huff was in the game, bad things happened for this team defensively in particular. They really, really struggled. So I don't think the pace is necessarily the issue. There are things Gonzaga can can clean up, obviously, finding more consistency in their pick and roll offense, obviously just knocking down more outside shots has been an issue all year long. Being able to do that against the St. Mary's team would have helped tremendously. But the pace didn't feel like as big of a factor as it often is uh, in this matchup. Well, is Gonzaga officially... WCC tournament or bust in terms of making the NCAA tournament? And will the Zags even land a double buy in the WCC tournament in Las Vegas? We're going to talk about those two topics coming up after a word from today's sponsor, LinkedIn Jobs. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the job. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs, which has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster, and they do it for free. LinkedIn is not just another job board. They have a vast network of over more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire and gives you access to professionals that you cannot find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even quicker and more efficient. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. 
So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, folks, segment two here. Still Andy Patton, still Locked On Zach's podcast. Still going through Mailbag Monday here. Post-loss to the St. Mary's Gales on Saturday evening. This question here comes from Austin via Discord. Austin says, only eight regular seasons ga- games left until Vegas. Do you think it's possible Gonzaga doesn't get the bye game in the WCC tournament? Yeah, I do. I think they probably will, though. Right now, St. Mary's has a two-game lead over everybody. In the WCC regular season, they are 9-0. Gonzaga is 7-2. That ties them with San Francisco, who is also 7-2. If the season were to end today, Gonzaga would be the second-place team because they have that win over San Francisco. Santa Clara is fourth because they are 6-3. Mysteriously, they lost to San Diego. Was not expecting that result at all. That is a helpful result for Gonzaga. Because in this situation, if uh, if Gonzaga and Santa Clara were tied... uh, Potentially, hopefully, Gonzaga and Santa Clara will uh, ultimately be tied in the regular season head-to-head as well. Obviously, that would require Gonzaga to beat them at home on February 24th. But now, if Gonzaga beats Santa Clara at home, they likely will not only not have to worry about the tiebreaker because Santa Clara will likely be behind them in the standing. So it's going to come down to San Francisco. There's always a chance albeit a very small chance that Gonzaga can win the regular season outright or at least tie with St. Mary's. But again, with a two-game two game deficit to them right now, you're relying on St. Mary's losing a game that they're probably not going to lose. So at this point, you're fighting for second place. The team you're competing with is San Francisco. That makes the return game at the Chase Center in late February vital. I think San Francisco is far more susceptible to potentially losing to somebody else, somebody that's not Gonzaga or St. Mary's. If they do that, it could put Gonzaga in a position to comfortably finish in second place. But yeah, this thing's going to come down to the wire. And there is a possibility, especially since we've seen Gonzaga be susceptible to other teams in the WCC, there is a possibility that Gonzaga doesn't finish top two and does have to fight their way through a longer a longer stretch in the WCC tournament in order to end them, find themselves in that championship game, winning that championship game, and securely in the field of 68 uh, on selection, selection Sunday. Next question comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, it seems like Gonzaga is going to have to be WCC champs on March 12th in order to continue the NCAA tournament run. There seems like a good chance St. Mary's could be rolling into Las Vegas as a lock to make the tournament with the Zags as an underdog needing to spring the upset. Most of the past 25 years, it has been the other way around. Is there any other hope for the Zags or is it WCC conference tournament champs or bust? First of all, I'm not Super confident that St. Mary's will just will be a lock for the NCAA tournament, even if they continue to win every game. They're certainly trending in that direction, but their non-conference resume is not that great. They have those bad losses. The Weaver State loss really stands out as a tough one. I think teams sometimes get unfairly punished for losses way back in November, but that's how the committee has historically done things. If St. Mary's does not lose again until the WCC Tournament Championship, If that happens and they lose to Gonzaga in the WCC tournament, I do think both Gonzaga and St. Mary's get in. I think that's pretty likely would be the case. St. Mary's would have two wins over Gonzaga. They'd have the two wins over San Francisco. They'd have all their quality non-conference wins that they did get. They'd be on a huge winning streak. Like that, probably they would be in that position. 
But St. Mary's is susceptible to losing. If they lose to Gonzaga and they also lose one other time in the WCC, all of a sudden they're not a lock in my mind to get in that large bit if they don't win in Vegas. For Gonzaga, you could argue that this conversation, I mean, we've had this conversation since the San Diego State loss, that Gonzaga might be WCC tournament or bust. At that time, if Gonzaga had gone undefeated in the WCC and beat Kentucky. I don't think there was any real, real concern that they wouldn't be in that large bid. Now, yeah, the concern's really, really there. Really, really there. With the, not only the San Diego State loss and the Washington loss and obviously the other non-conference losses, you also have the Santa Clara loss. Now you have the same areas loss. You're 0-5 in quad one games. Washington has continued to loss with, lose, which has made that game look worse for Gonzaga as a loss. 0-5 in quad one just doesn't put you in the NCAA tournament. Now, Gonzaga could beat Kentucky. Gonzaga could beat St. Mary's on the road. They could beat San Francisco at the Chase Center. That's potentially three quad one wins there. If they do all that, basically, if they do not lose any game from now until the WCC Tournament Championship where they lose to St. Mary's, if that happens, I still believe Gonzaga is in the NCAA tournament. And part of that is because the bubble is weak. Looking at the teams on the bubble right now, looking at their resumes, Gonzaga's resume would stand up with three quad one wins with the, the, with only the six losses. I think they'd be in. It would help if Washington won some dang games. That would certainly be helpful, but I do think they'd still be in. Having said that the margin is razor thin and I'm not that confident. They'd be sweating. They'd be sweating really hard on selection Sunday. The best case scenario, just go win the dang thing. Just go win it. Just go win it. You'll remember last year, Gonzaga and St. Mary's split in the regular season, and then Gonzaga obliterated them in Las Vegas. I'm not saying that's going to happen again. I'm not saying that's going to happen again. But it happened last year. It is not crazy to think that Gonzaga could win the next two games against St. Mary's. It's not. And it's not crazy to think Gonzaga could beat Kentucky. We'll talk about that more later in this show, but Kentucky hasn't looked very good lately. I don't think it's crazy to think that Gonzaga could do enough in the rest of the regular season to at least be right in that conversation. But there's no possible way for Gonzaga to feel comfortable going into the NCAA tournament selection Sunday without winning the WCC tournament. There's none. There's a chance they still get in, but they will not be comfortable. That is not a position that Gonzaga, that Mark Few, that this team wants to be in. Best case, they just need to win the WCC tournament. Next question here comes from Jackie via Discord. Jackie says, we all know the Zags are struggling in guard depth. If few lands a guard transfer or recruit next year, is it more likely this new guard comes off the bench, plays before Krinovich, or do you think few would reward Krinovich first for the hours he's put in? Yeah, there's a really good question, timing on this question, I think, just because we saw kind of what Mark Few talked about of like, hey, we're going to give Lucas some more run. We're going to trust him to fill in spots in this lineup, in this rotation that he hasn't been able to do because he's been hurt and that he wasn't doing prior to his injury before the UConn game. And that happened. Kranovich played against LMU. He had six points. He looked pretty sharp in that game. Granted, LMU looked horrible in that game and Gonzaga, everybody looked pretty darn good. But we also saw Kranovich get some first half minutes against St. Mary's in a close game, in a crucial situation. Kranovich spelled Nolan Hickman. He didn't do much. He didn't do anything bad. He just kind of was there. But Marfu trusted him. I didn't have that on my bingo card, especially after he got that injury and missed a whole month of basketball. I didn't think he would be in the game against St. Mary's on February 3rd. In fact, I said on this podcast, I didn't think he was going to play in this game regardless of whether he was healthy or not. And he did. Again, not a huge role, but he did. 
And to me, I think Mark Few doesn't play guys just to play them. It, early in the season when no, Ryan Nemhart and Nolan Hickman were pretty desperately needing breaks and Luke Krenovich was healthy, he didn't play. Few does not just play guys. You have to earn it. Krenovich clearly earned it to be playing in this game. To me, that's a good sign for him potentially having a bigger role next year. To answer the overall question, though, it does depend. It depends, obviously, first of all, we're making the assumption that Ryan Nemhard, Nolan Hickman, Luka Kranovich, Dusty Stromer, Steel Venters, let's say they're all back next year. If all of those guys are back, I'm not sure Gonzaga is going to be hell-bent on adding another guard. I think they should still look for a guard. They should look for a wing, more importantly, I think, and let Venters and, and Dusty play more of the two, find a bigger player to play the three. You're going to need to replace Anton Watson, so you're maybe looking for, for a role there too. But if Gonzaga can go get the kind of guard they've landed in the portal in the past, the Geno Crandall type, the Aaron Cook type, an, an effective veteran guard who has played point guard at a high level, at the Division One level for multiple years, if they find that guy... It's hard to imagine they don't play over Luca. Maybe Luca plays more minutes at the two. Maybe they do have Dusty and Steele play almost exclusively at the three, which opens up some more minutes at the guard spots. But also I could see Gonzaga not getting that kind of transfer, focusing their transfer energy on a big, on a wing. And instead, maybe they get another, you know, late European ad at the guard rotation. They're already looking at a six foot six guard from Israel who would be a 2024 class member. If they landed somebody like that, Krenovich does play over them. So it's going to depend who they land. Ultimately, I think Kranovich has earned a lot of respect and a lot of, I mean, he's earned the opportunity to play in games like that already. That to me speaks to the likelihood that he has an expanded role next year, assuming he continues that growth and development. Well, Kentucky, we talked about them already. They've really struggled in the last couple of weeks. Can Gonzaga exploit that and potentially pick up a big win in Lexington next Saturday? That and more. Coming up after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Happy Super Bowl week to all of those who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because the Super Bowl Sunday, to me, it's all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and now placing some super bets. FanDuel has so many different ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, where currently the 49ers are favored by two and a half points, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more is a win. So just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on today to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Closing out today's show with more mailbag questions. This one comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, watching Kentucky the last couple of weeks, their defense is pretty bad, and it looks like could be particularly vulnerable to Gonzaga's pick and roll and screen and roll actions. The great question is, can Gonzaga actually make enough shots to turn Kentucky's defense into the vulnerability that it really is? Yeah, Kentucky's awful on defense. They lost to Tennessee. They gave up 103 points to a Tennessee team that is historically a pretty low-scoring team. Dalton Connect, a huge addition for Tennessee. He was third on their team in scoring, so it wasn't even a situation of, oh, the really good scoring guard that Tennessee added in the portal went off, and that's why they scored 103 points. No, Kentucky's a bad defensive team. They're outside the top 100 in Ken Palm. They don't have any real rim protection. 
Everybody's excited about Big Z's Vonimir Visic, who's finally eligible after missing the majority of the season with some NCAA eligibility issues, but he hasn't been a rim protector. Aaron Bradshaw, second-ranked recruit in the class of 2023, he's a nothing burger. He's barely in the rotation. Justin Edwards, a preseason top five pick in every every mock draft. Don't let them lie to you. They had him all in the top five. He's been a complete non-factor for Kentucky as well. Part of this is stemming from the fact that, as we've said on this podcast, 2023 recruiting class, very, very weak. Same with 2024 is part of the reason I'm not that concerned about Gonzaga not recruiting super heavily in those classes because the talent level, even at the very top, hasn't been very good. Now, Kentucky's got a trio of fantastic guards, DJ Wagner, uh, the starting point guard. He's had some some injury issues right now. We'll see what that looks like as we get closer to, to Saturday against Gonzaga. But Reed Shepard and Rob Dillingham in particular coming off the bench have been fantastic. But Overall, this is not a good defensive team. Gonzaga should be able to score 85-90 on this team. Gonzaga is also a, a much improved defensive team and is more than capable of holding Kentucky to under 80 points. That is a potential recipe for a victory, even at Rupp Arena. I'm, you call me naive, whatever you want to say. I think Gonzaga has a very good chance in this game, particularly if Kentucky's not at full strength health-wise, which they may not be, as we're recording this on Sunday evening, of course, there's still a lot of time between now and then for, for things to, to clear up for them. But this Kentucky team has looked very vulnerable this year. Gonzaga did not play great against St. Mary's, particularly down the stretch, but has played pretty well in all the rest of their games. St. Mary's, a, I think, a better team than Kentucky right now, the way that these two teams are playing. Overall body of work, no. Kentucky has a better resume and should be ranked higher, all that. But St. Mary's is playing better than Kentucky right now. And Gonzaga played very close against that Kentucky team, should have won that game. I do not think it's crazy to believe right now that Gonzaga can beat Kentucky even on the road because that Kentucky team defensively is just not good. If Ryan Nembhard can get back to the style that he's been playing, even the way he played against St. Mary's, yeah, he didn't have very many assists, but nobody on Gonzaga had very many assists. That's part of what St. Mary's is able to take away from you, force you to play more isolation basketball, make it more difficult to swing the ball around and get open shots the way that Gonzaga likes to do. But Kentucky's defense and Gonzaga's offense are, are not a good match for each other for Kentucky's perspective, and I think it could help Gonzaga have a good offensive night and their defense is good enough to prevent Kentucky, who's a good offensive team, don't get me wrong, Kentucky's a very good offensive team, but I think they're a little disjointed right now. I think Gonzaga could capitalize and go get themselves a nice W. We will have much more on this matchup over the next couple of days, but that's my early read on this game uh, with it being about a week out. Next questions, final two of the show, both come from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, the Lady Zags are sharp despite a down year in the WCC, and they are fun to watch on a number of occasions. The crisp ball movement yielded a wide open three. What is the best seed the Lady Zags can earn? How much is the AP poll considered in seeding in the big dance? The Lady Zags just played the fourth ranked team per the net in the WCC and Pacific. Pacific's 135th in the net coming into that game on Saturday. Gonzaga beat them by 65 points. 65 points. I put this in perspective on Twitter for those of you who saw it. Ohio State is, I think, one spot away from Gonzaga in the net rankings. Uh, they played Wisconsin, who's about seven spots ahead of Pacific in the net rankings. And they beat them by 40, or 40-ish, and shot effectively, efficiently. But Wisconsin out-rebounded them, and they shot well, but not super elite necessarily. Meanwhile, Gonzaga played a similar opponent, again, using the net rankings. Nobody's going to argue that Pacific and Wisconsin would – Wisconsin probably wins more than six out of ten times between those two teams. But per the net, they're similar ranked teams. And Gonzaga won by 65 points. They obliterated them. 
they hit a bucket in the second half with like five minutes, excuse me, second quarter with like five minutes to go. They gave them 40 points. That was the game winner. They scored over 40 points midway through the second quarter. The Sigma scored 39 in the game. This was a massacre. And it is not unlike what we have seen from this team. They have won every conference game by 18 or more points. Every single one of them. The second-ranked team in the conference, again, per net, is Santa Clara. They've beat them by 35-plus points twice. This team is obliterating their opponents this year on a level I have never seen before. It is not getting enough national love. The conversation is consistently about how bad the WCC is, which we're not arguing, but that doesn't, I mean, 65 points. I mean, they're just crushing everybody. To get to the actual answers of the questions, I think the best seed the Lady Zags can realistically earn is probably a four seed. Assuming they do not lose another game, if they go all the way through, the, the rest of the regular season through the WCC tournament blast everybody. I think they're probably capped at a four seed. Maybe if a, the planets aligned in other ways, they could get a three seed. Maybe. But I think they're probably capped at a four seed. AP, yeah, it factors in by unconscious bias reasons. Technically, it, it shouldn't, I guess. I, I don't know. The selection committee, they're, they're, they don't have to completely disregard it, but they're, they're valuing other things. They're valuing the net. They're valuing the metrics you know, a handful of other factors that are going into it that aren't necessarily driven by the AP poll. But for Gonzaga, this team clearly looks like they should be, in my mind, a top 16 team and seated as such. I would be disappointed if they ran the table as they have been doing and got a five seed. Not like horrified or outraged. A five seed is fine, but they probably deserve to be a four seed. If they get below a five seed, we're going to have serious conversations. That's just ridiculous. But ideally, they win out, they continue to do what they've done, they get a four seed, and they make a, a strong push for a Sweet 16 or Elite Eight run because they're playing really good basketball right now. Final question once again from Christian. He says, the message we're hearing is the Zags fans are a bit spoiled. Perhaps we can counter this with a few grains of gratitude sand. The mediocre rise of Gonzaga basketball has been an amazing journey to follow. What are two or three of your favorite memories to get some positive vibes flowing? For me personally, in terms of memories, I didn't come to Gonzaga as a fan until about 2008. So memories before that are just not really memories that resonate with me personally. Obviously, if you're talking about the meteoric rise of Gonzaga basketball, the stories, the slipper still fits, the infamous runner, of course, in 1999 against Florida. That's the number one of the list. I think Casey Calvary had a game winner over Virginia in the 2001 NCAA tournament that I think really helped solidify that this team is not not a, at the time we didn't know this, but it's not George Mason. Mason, it's not Loyola Chicago, it's not VCU. Those programs that that don't capitalize on those those successes. Uh, the, the Adam Morrison Bank three against Battle in Seattle again. Shot I've seen a thousand times, but doesn't resonate as much with me. But I think was one of those like, oh wow, this program is is truly legitimate, and this young man is is absolutely incredible. For me, the memories that come to mind: the first time the Zags were ranked number one in the country, I was a senior. There was a huge number one cake on campus. It was a, a, an incredible moment to be a part of, to be a student for, to just be, uh, to, to kind of be able to have tangible memories from. Uh, my other memories come from after my time at Gonzaga, the Jordan Matthews shot over West Virginia, of course, uh, and, and getting that, that program into the Elite Eight, getting them into the Final Four, and of course, helping them get all the way to the national championship game. Uh, the Duke win in the Maui Invitational, 
incredible, incredible game. Uh, really showcased this program's rise again and, and their ability to, to win tournaments like that against teams like that Duke team. And then, of course, the Jalen Sugg shot over UCLA and the tremendous, tremendous game that that was in general and the fact that the Zags remained undefeated and were back in the national championship game. It's going to wrap it up for me today here on the Locked On Zags podcast. We'll be back later this week with more discussion on the St. Mary's game, more discussion on Gonzaga's resume and, and what they need to do to ensure them back. they're back in the NCAA tournament. We'll also get you ready for the Portland game on Wednesday night against the Pilots in the McCarthy Athletic Center. And, of course, the big one on Saturday against the Wildcats of Kentucky at Rupp. We're going to get you ready for all of those games coming up later this week. But for now, I want to thank you all for making this show your first listen or your first watch of the day for hanging out with us here in a bit of a therapy session after that unfortunate loss and the unfortunate end of the game that we saw on Saturday against the Gales. Uh, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to join us on our Discord channel if you have not done so yet. There is a link in your show notes, and it is free to join. We'll be back on Tuesday getting you ready for the rest of the week. But for now, and as always, even after a tough one like that, go Zags.